You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. All right, so uh, if you want to grab these notes, you can, but right now I want to swing into what you could say is an application of Palm Sunday. Uh, Taraqua, the village, the work, it's an application of it all. It is important that you know, and hopefully Aaron laid this out, and I'll take about 15 minutes to kind of close it up. Palm Sunday, uh, that moment was a very political event. That's why Jesus didn't choose a war horse. Uh, He did the opposite of what generals and kings do when they ride into a pomp and circumstance uh, of celebration. He chose a symbol of peace on a beast of burden and a lowly donkey. And it lived out the prophecy of Zechariah that, that the king would come in victory, but not in the kind of victory in the way that we often think of victory in terms of military conquest. And so it was a very provocative, very provocative Sunday uh, for the people and for Jesus, as you will see in the stories that we'll read this morning. And the key thing to remember is that Hosanna being a cry of liberation and the Christ who is the liberator who had come was coming to liberate the people in a way that was much bigger than they, than they expected. And this wasn't just a liberation so they could go to heaven when they die. And I need you, please, to capture that. This was a very real liberation. A liberation so real that when a church in Williamsburg hears of 200 plus AIDS orphans struggling and violently getting beaten and abandoned in a community, that God then sends a pastor from Kenya who's trying to do something with other Christians like Patrick and Jonathan and invites us to join in their liberation. So please never think that the liberation of God is just so we get to go to heaven when we die. It's to live into Jesus' prayer, which is may your kingdom, what? Come on where? As it, and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so it's important to know that this is how it works. And Francis, come on up, brother. Francis is a man who understands that to be liberated is to join God in the liberation. And if you've been here a long time, you know who Francis is. But if you haven't, Francis Church, Church Francis, Pastor Francis B. Everybody, welcome Pastor Francis. (laughs) Dr. Francis. So, brother, I'm going to give you the mic. Why don't you just share with people the work you do, okay, thank what you. you do in this, so they can understand how you are joining God in the liberation in Kenya. Thank you, sir. Uh, greetings from Kenya, from Eldoret uh, in, uh, in Kenya, East Africa. And uh, I'm happy that I'm here today. Um, I'm thankful for the many people who, uh, d- through the week, that took me for lunch and uh, reconciled me with steak and hamburgers. I like that, and, and Salmon, I'm so thankful. And uh, also I go to uh, meet my cousin here, uh, Kip, and Tracy, and Noah. They're so uh, I'm happy that uh, uh, for the first time I got to meet them. They have been here for o- almost 13 years. And I was telling them about Pastor Fred that I thought that I'm doing a lot of work in Kenya, but sometimes I came here and Fred took me inside the woods 
and showed me someone who was living deep in the woods. And I said, Lord, I am sorry. I thought I was doing a lot in Kenya. There's a lot here also. <laughs> I am working with Christian Relifant, and uh, I, my work is I am the president of ICAN Eldoret Christian Aid Network that uh, help the children, that, uh, like the ones in Tarakwa. And uh, through that, I have uh, 17 mission centers that I do uh, help these children from. And from these 17 mission centers, uh, I have 12 schools, 12 schools, one high school, and the rest are primary schools. And through that, then we get to uh, connect with these children that are homeless, that are uh, tra uh, troubled with the, where they live. And then we s truly appreciate for the help from uh, Williamsburg Christian Church to help me build that place so that it become a rescue place for uh, all the children from 17 mission centers that we identify as they, uh, they are homeless, they cannot have a place to live. And through all the, um, the over 2,000 children that Christian Relief Fund sponsors have sponsored here in America, then we are able to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And through the children and uh, following them, and them also preaching the gospel because they have met with Jesus, the, then we are able to plant churches. So I am also overseeing church plants that we have planted uh, over 260 churches all over Kenya with Christian, uh, with Christian church family. And also God has brought us into a place where uh, Christian Relief and helped me to uh, drill wells. And we've, we are drilling wells in many, many places. And through that also we do church plant, we plant churches and training uh, servants of God. So we have a college that uh, we are using to train servants of God and many servants of God, we send them to a new church plant to go and help the believers there to grow. And uh, Christian Elephant helped me to drill wells. And now we have drilled 536 wells. I mean, 536 communities have got clean water that they are not suffering anymore. And Jesus is there. And the main aim of all this is to take Jesus to the dust roads and the bushes of Africa. And that is where we take Jesus through the pastors and they preach the gospel there and uh, get, get clean water. And even through that, we've got a lot of advancement in terms of the, of the gospel. And recently, God blessed us to have a, a radio station that we are able to reach out, uh, Stewards TV and radio we are able to reach out every day. Through these pastors, we are preaching to 4 million people every day, giving them the, the word of God. And we are so thankful that you see through you sponsors, you are sponsoring those children, those orphans. You've had people like, like uh, our, our, our daughter there, that uh, she, was, she, is, she has a great hope. Right now, you know, she was saying when she, she was about to join nursing school, uh, uh, the, the lady there is in nursing school right now, as we speak, and that is a great hope in Tarakwa. And there are others that are already in doing the work. There are others that are working with us that joined uh, sponsorship through Christian Elephant. And some are teachers, some are policemen, some are uh, made some military men that are guarding our country. And there are pastors, uh, a lot of pastors that are working with us. We have sent them to the field that they were sponsored like those uh, young children that are there. So we truly appreciate you uh, doing the partnership with us. And it is really transforming our country. 
Our country is changing. Imagine over 2,000 children in uh, 20 years' time, our country will be changing gradually. And some few years, we will also be helping another country. We'll also be going to another country uh, to help them, I mean, advance. Thank you very much for standing with us, for transforming our people, for taking the gospel of Jesus Christ with us to the remotest part of our country. And thank you. Thank you a trillion times. God bless you. So we have um, helped with the college before, kind of here and there as we can, uh, which uh, I have actually recorded a class of, of, of survey of, of Hebrew scriptures that, that is taught there. Um, and there's another church in Colorado that came behind that work and did for the college what we were able to do for Taraqua, and that was to actually provide a good building and a center. Because when I visited Taraqua to visit the college, we had to drive out to the valley. Um, it was the hottest place in Kenya. Um, it was uh, a very harsh conditions in terms of climate. Beautiful place, except for the snakes. Um, beautiful place. Um, lots of snakes, but beautiful, beautiful place. But, but, the, but the pastors who wanted to train would have to walk days, days, and sleep on cots in a steel, in an aluminum-type shed uh, in the, on a dirt floor in the hottest valley in all of Kenya to learn how to bring the gospel to the rest of Kenya. Uh, Kenyans are some of the hardest-working folk I've ever seen, some of the most economically genius people. You're not just looking at a pastor. You're looking at a, at a very savvy businessman, a man who knows how to make, I know, you know, it's weird, isn't it? A man who knows how to make things happen, the potion mill and other things to try and build up economic development, to try to create economic impulses. And so what I love about CRF is CRF doesn't just try to save people. CRF joins God and what God is doing in other countries with people like Francis and others who are already doing the work of, of, of liberation, who are doing it economically, who are doing it socio-politically, who are doing all of that because they believe Jesus is the king of the kingdom. Come on now, you with me? I'm like, yeah, all right. So, so, so this is what's happening. And, and if you can imagine how many communities have been changed through water and how many people have been, have been liberated into the kingdom of God in just Kenya alone, imagine the work that CRF does in the other 30 countries they're in. So... Francis is an expression of what God is doing all over the world. One of the, most, one of the worst things I ever heard in recent years, and one of the most insulting things I've ever heard in recent years, is I was at this Christian concert with Allison, um, and this well-intended Christian artist, no question about the intent, wouldn't judge motives, was going to make the pitch for a relief organization. And the pitch that the artist made for the relief organization said things like this, and I quote, their country doesn't even care about them. Their culture doesn't even care about them. We must bring the gospel to them. We must save them. And I thought to myself, it's just not true because I know the country he's talking about. And I literally know pastors in that country doing work with other organizations, some doing work without organizations, doing the work already. I get what the brother was trying to do. But in our effort to be a part of what God is doing in the world, we aren't the ones who do the work. We just join God by joining those who are already doing the work. Those who love their country more than we ever could. Those who love these children more than we ever could. 
And let's be honest, we got work to do everywhere, don't we? And so as a privileged people, as a privileged people where the dollar goes in Kenya six times more than what the dollar does here, there is work to be done. But let's never forget that we are just joining God by joining God's people who are already there doing the work, people like Francis. And so, brother, we honor you. We thank you. I know you thank us a trillion times. We thank you a trillion times. And I know you think that we're special, but we're really not. We're just, you're, you're the, y'all are the special ones. You're the ones inviting us into doing something that, that we need to do and that we must do that has changed us. So thank you for changing our lives. And tell the children, please, thank you for changing our lives. Amen. Can thank you do you. that? Yes. So church, if you'll stand and let's extend a hand of prayer over Francis. If you want to come and talk with Francis more, he'll be here um, all day. He'll, and he, I'm sure he'll take hamburger and steak and salmon if you, want to, if, you want to, if you want to give that to him later on. <laughs> Father God, we thank you so much for this brother. We ask that in the name of Jesus, you bless him from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. That you fill him with your Holy Spirit and that you lead him onward. That you bless his team with ECAN uh, CRF. That you bless all of those who are part of the many works in the 17 mission locations, in the schools, in the over 260 churches, in all the ways that you, have brought, uh, God, that you have brought gospel just on one side of Kenya, just on one side. How much more are you doing in places we don't know? Father, humble our hearts. Help us to see our responsibility with our wealth and our privilege. Release us from the gripping and the grasping that keeps us from the kind of giving that yields eternal dividends beginning even now. Father, we ask that you would bless Consoletta, Francis' wife, that you would bless his children, that you would raise them up to know the beauty and the wonder of the Christ, that when their father is away for days and even weeks, that they would know that their father is away because of the gospel. But I thank you for the father that Francis is, for the way he loves his own children, for the way he plays with them and spends time with them and nurtures them. And not just models to them the way of the life of a God, of a, of a godly man, but the way of a life of just a loving father who reflects the love of God. So, Father, bless his family. Father, bless the children of Tarakwa and the children, all children of Kenya. Bless all the people of, Chin, of Kenya. May you bless that country. And may you raise up people like this to be a blessing. And may you help us know how to be a blessing too. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen, my brother. Thank you, bro. Here you go. Yeah, y'all can clap again. Come on, y'all. Like, go ahead, y'all can be seated. Let, let your inner charismatic out. I know you first service people. You want to do it. I see you want to do it. Let's turn our attention to some of the depths of the biblical story of Palm Sunday. And then we will move to Eucharist together. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 19, 28. When Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at a place called Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a young donkey there. No one has ever sat on it. You, you untie it, bring it to me. And if anyone asks, why are you untying it? Tell them the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left 
Those who were sent left and found it just as it had been told to them, and they were untying the young donkey. Its owner said, why are you untying the donkey? They said, the Lord needs it. And so they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their robes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it, and he was going along, and they were spreading their robes on the road. And now he came near the path, down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. So these are people who had seen Jesus do the work. And the king, and they said, the king who comes, the king who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And some of the Pharisees, the political and religious leaders from the crowd told them, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why? Why did the political and religious leaders, leavers say rebuke your disciples? Because they were making political allegations. They were saying, this is the king we've been waiting on. And the religious and political leaders said, no, it's not. He's not the king. That's why this is a political moment. And Jesus said, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. Jesus travels the way of every Jew to Jerusalem for Passover, and it's the climax of his public ministry. And he knows the le- what lay ahead. He, he chooses to face it head on. And the time has come for Jesus to make the announcement of the kingdom in an obvious way, in an explicit way, and that he will embody in himself the things he's been teaching. The living one of God has come to heal and liberate. And the forces of evil and death were working in op- opposition. Just like they had always been at work. Just like Pharaoh. Come on now. The forces of evil and death were working in opposition in Jesus, not in some spiritual, windy way, but through political means, just like Pharaoh worked in opposition to the liberation of Israel and Egypt. And Jesus moves on anyway, because for Jesus, this is a royal occasion. Everybody say royal occasion. And it's one to be carefully planned so as to make the exact right point and call to mind the exact right Scripture. And the Scripture called to mind is Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your King is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. Zechariah's prophecy proclaims the righteous and victorious king of Israel will come, but not on a war horse like other kings, but on a donkey in humility and peace. God's long-awaited king will bear witness to God's reign at work in the world and will demonstrate a different kind of power that can actually liberate. And what Jesus is doing is an unmistakable political act on behalf of this new kind of liberation. That's why Matthew in chapter 21, verses 10 to 11, says it through the whole place in an uproar. And they're saying among themselves, who is this? And acting on, a, on a behalf of a new kind of liberation that threatens the principalities and powers that dictate the terms of freedom and to do so in a public way is a dangerous thing. And we know this to be true. I mean, in just two days, we'll remember the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. We'll remember that the more public his declaration of liberation came, the more of a threat he grew, and the more his enemy pursued him, resulting in his death on a faculty at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis. We remember 
Dr. King, and it leads us to remember Medgar Evers. We remember that the more public he made his fight for freedom in Jim Crow, Mississippi, the more the enemy pursued him, resulting in a death in his driveway. We remember the Freedom Riders of 1961, where a group of white and African-American activists whose Declaration of Freedom put on public display in the American South led to horrific violence against them. Going public with a declaration of a new kind of liberation will threaten the principalities and powers accustomed to dictating all the terms for freedom. And this is a dangerous thing. Dr. King knew it. Medgar Evers knew it. Freedom Riders knew it. Jesus knew it. And all the disciples and supporters of Jesus are playing along in this makeshift royal celebration as they wave their palm branches and spread their robes along the road. They, they sing Psalm 118, a song about how Israel was surrounded by nations that threatened them only to be saved by the Lord. And Jesus enacts this psalm so that Israel, currently held captive by an occupying foreign power, may see the victory of God. Come on, are you with me? This is happening. This is an historical, concrete reality that is taking place. They're not thinking of heaven. They're thinking of liberation. Because they're overtaxed and they're overburdened. And these people don't belong here. That's what they think of Rome. And God save, the king has come. God save, the king has come. That's Hosanna. So Jesus comes as the one to fulfill the nation's hope, answering their prayers for a king who would bring peace from the throne room of heaven. But it's important to remember that Jesus didn't ask for the branches. You remember that in the story? Jesus did not ask for the branches. He didn't. What did he ask for? The donkey. Jesus didn't ask for the sign of militaristic victory. It wasn't his idea. He didn't ask for the palm branches usually accompanied by military leaders on war horses. No, Jesus didn't ask for the branches, but knowing they would choose the branches, Jesus avoided the war horse and asked for the donkey, a beast of burden, a symbol of humility and lowliness. And as Jesus approaches the city on this donkey, something happens inside of Jesus. Come on now. Something happens inside of Jesus. This is what Luke says, Luke 19, verse 41. As he approached the Mount of Olives, he saw the city. You ready? He wept over it. And he said, if you knew this day, what would it bring peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you, surround you, and hem you in on every side, and they will crush you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in you because you did not recognize the time of the visitation. You know what he's prophesying, don't you? The destruction of the temple. And it sounds like with Jesus that it could have been avoided. If only you would have known this day what would have brought peace. If only you would have let go of the palm branches and would have picked up peace. 
If only you would have just refused the way of violence and would have chosen the way of the donkey. You would have known liberation. Verse 45, and he went into the temple complex and began to throw out those who were selling. Jesus' weeping turns into anger because he sees what's happening. And he throws out the people who are robbing the poor, who are robbing the people in the temple, the money changers, as we like to say, the thieves. And Jesus, once again, quotes Scripture, and he says, my house will be a house of prayer, but you made it a den of thieves. And every day he was teaching in the temple complex from that point forward. And the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people, you really, were looking for a way to destroy him. That's what the text says. Because crying out of a new kind of liberation with a new kind of power in the midst of the principalities and powers is a dangerous thing. For thousands of years, Jerusalem has executed prophet after prophet. They did not prefer the message of God's love and peace. They preferred nationalistic pride. And in the end, all that was left were the tears of the prophets. And now it's Jesus' turn to weep. And earlier in Jesus' ministry, we find many stories of tears, don't we? The widow of Nain weeps over her dead son. Jairus' family weeps over a dying daughter. We find others in distress coming to Jesus for healing and new life. And in each story, in each story, Jesus meets them in their tears. You with me? Beloved, Jesus will always meet us in our tears. Because our tears flow from all that is wrong with God's good world. And it is why Jesus' own eyes flow with tears on Palm Sunday. Crying over the city of God's people. And I think it's easy to forget in all of the beauty and the celebration and all of the goodness that we even see this morning, I think it's easy to forget in all of the story of Palm Sunday that there on Palm Sunday, Jesus weeps over a city that he loves because they do not know the liberation King Jesus actually offers. They choose the way of nationalism. They choose the way of violence. They choose the way of pride. And they miss the way of the kingdom even though they baptize their pride in religious clothes. Jesus weeping is not a moment of weakness or fear, but a moment of love, of vulnerability, of heartache. Because Jesus knows what will happen to God's people. Jesus knows the proverb that says, pride comes before the fall. And Jesus says, unless you turn away from building your own little kingdoms and turn toward God's kingdom, you will perish. Jesus is face to face with the city where Pilate had already killed many Galileans and would soon kill one more on Friday. Come on. Here he's about to face two different trials from two different powers. A religious trial with political motives led by priest Caiaphas 
and a political trial led by Pilate. Two powers, religion and politics, all promoting the same vices of fear-mongering, of power-grabbing, of death. And we know from the gospel stories that where the temple was once a holy place, it was now a symbol of this nationalistic pride and religious greed, and that's why Jesus had to go in it and turn over tables. And the systems of religion and politics in Jesus' day led his people so far away from the love that they could not see the peace that God actually wanted them to know. And no wonder Jesus weeps. No wonder Jesus must enter into the temple and cleanse its pride and greed. No wonder Jesus must walk through a week of sorrow and suffering, a week like no other, a week set apart for all eternity that we call Holy Week. Everybody say Holy Week. See, that's what this week is about now, isn't it? We celebrate the God who has come, but we mustn't forget why He came. Come on, are you with me? We celebrate the God who has come, but we mustn't forget why He came. And he didn't just come, so we get to go to heaven when we die. That happens. If you're in Christ, you will never die. Celebrate. Rejoice. But since we are a people who are death-proof, we must enter into places where death is at work. Come on. So during Holy Week, we cannot forget Jesus' tears. During Holy Week, we must not forget Jesus' scandalous trials and cruel death. During Holy Week, we must not forget Jesus' passion. During Holy Week, a week like no other, we must not forget that Jesus has done this for all of us so that we could all be rescued from captivity to fear and to the death-dealing wounds of the reign of sin and death and liberated into resurrection. But before there is resurrection, there must be what? There must be death. So a day later, Around Monday, John tells us something that Jesus told his disciples. John 12, verse 23, it says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I assure you, unless a grain of wheat, listen now, come on, beloved, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. The one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world or the one who's willing to lose his life will actually keep it for eternity. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor them. My soul is troubled, Jesus says. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that is why I came for this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus knew what many of us sometimes forget. But then, remember, during Holy Week, you know what that is? It's that the path of resurrection is always preceded by a kind of death. The dying Jesus talks about could be understood by us as a kind of letting go. Everybody say letting go. A letting go of the things in which we've placed too much confidence. A letting go of the things of which we have allowed to hold our hope. A letting go of thinking that we can do it all on our own or on our own terms. Many of us want new life. We want a new start. We want a new beginning. We want resurrection. But if we're going to experience resurrection, we must be willing to embrace a kind of death 
that is a letting go. And only in letting go of the things that hold our hopes can we actually pick up the truest hope of all. We are invited every Holy Week to stop our grasping and our griping so we can receive, so we can receive. And as God liberates our minds and hearts, live generously. On this day, beloved, 2,000 years ago, Jesus' disciples celebrated his wondrous works. And in him they saw the blessed one who comes in the name of the Lord. Do we find ourselves as his disciples on the road from the Mount of Olives blessing and celebrating the King of Kings? Are we ready? Are you ready? Are you ready not only to spread your robes on the road in front of Jesus shouting and celebrating His wondrous works, but are you also ready to follow Him into a tearful weeping over a world broken by the reign of sin and death? My God, how it's both. Are you ready for the kind of dying that requires a letting go so that we can actually be resurrected? Are you ready to live life with a bigger imagination for peace, a deeper understanding of joy, and a courage that knows no fear and can love fully? The long road of Holy Week gives us plenty of time to consider the meaning. Come on up. Consider the meaning and purpose of our lives and sort out the motives behind what we think it means to follow Jesus as King. That's what Holy Week is for. Lent was what it was. Lent comes to an end. Holy Week begins to lead us into the beauty and the wonder of the life of the Christ and the passion of the Christ and the suffering of the Christ so that when we come to Friday, whatever it is we need nailed to the cross gets nailed to the cross. We live in the uncomfortable tension of Holy Saturday where we wait. And then Sunday comes. And we begin our gathering by saying, He is risen. And you say, He is risen indeed. But before we get there, there is a journey to the cross. And just know that this journey to the cross is what makes the resurrection possible. This journey to the cross that liberates us into the life of resurrection must still be remembered in the Messiah who has come. And every week we come to the table, we come remembering the need to let it go so that we can receive the body and the blood of the Christ who has come. As we enter into Holy Week, enter in with joy and enter in with humility so that the Lord can show you what it is you need to let go. And trust on every day this week, Sunday is coming. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 